0: Please open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. And today we'll be looking in particular at verses 1 to 8 from Revelation 21. Great to see you here this morning, Cornerstone, and welcome if you're joining us online. Uh, congratulations to Adam and Jess, whose uh, second son was born earlier this week, so it's, that's uh, wonderful news for them. Perhaps we could give them a bit of encouragement. And we're continuing our series on the book of Revelation. We're almost at the end. Chapter 21 today, looking at the first eight verses. Now, if you're not busy on the 6th of March 2021, you might enter the Gone Nuts 101 Trail Run. And this is a a running race. It starts in Stanley and it goes to Wynyard. That's the 101, it's 101 kilometres. And my friend Dan Shepherd, the pastor of Crossroads, he, he's done it. And he said that uh, it's not by any means all flat. It's, it's up and down and there's craggy hills and, and sometimes you're on your hands and knees climbing up and down these hills. It starts with a run up to the top of the Stanley Nut and around the nut. That's how it starts. Now, I've, I've climbed the Stanley Nut and I've gone around it and I needed a long hot bath after that and pretty much two weeks of recuperation and pampering, and that's how this little run starts. And it's described as very challenging, very challenging. Now, I reckon if you were to go in the Gone Nuts 101 trail run, you could only ever endure something like that if there was hope of... An end point, right? Only if you could see the the good end of the race where you can finally stop and and family and friends are there to to welcome you and, and to applaud your achievement. You could only endure something so long and so difficult if there's hope and if you can see the good end. Human beings can endure intense hardships and long hardships as long as there's hope as long as they can see the good end. And we've seen that that's exactly why the book of Revelation was written. The first readers of this book, as we now know, faced tremendous hardships and challenges to their Christian life and faith. And many were losing family, losing friends, losing their jobs and their income, and many were being arrested and some were even losing their lives for the faith. And so the original readers of this book were sorely tempted to give up. We know that from, from reading the book of Revelation. We know that many were sorely tempted to give up the Christian life and the Christian rates. And what the book of Revelation has done is that it showed us the true nature of the hardships the true nature of the challenges and the opposition. The curtain has been pulled aside and we have seen the spiritual forces of evil arrayed against us and we have seen their nature. We've seen what's going to happen to them in the end. The book of Revelation also shows us what's at the end of this race. What's at the end of this this time of trial? It shows us hope, it shows us a good end so that we will go on and endure the hard roads. And this morning, this is what Jesus is saying to each and every Christian here, each and every Christian watching this. Jesus is saying, look, look at what I'm pointing to you here. Here's your hope. Here's the good end of the race. Don't give up. Go on. Look up, first of all, to see your extraordinary future home. Look there at verse 1, where John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And of course, the first time we've heard those words, heaven and earth, in the very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But we read in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam sinned and God punished Adam. And God punished Adam's seed by cursing his perfect creation. Childbearing and childrearing was made painful and upsetting. Work was made toilsome and frustrating and our lives were destined to end in death. But we saw in chapter 20, two weeks ago, in verse 14, that Jesus has thrown death and Hades into the lake of fire. Jesus has destroyed sin by its root and he's destroyed the effects of sin. Death, destroyed. And so what John sees here in this glorious heavenly vision is a new heaven and earth, a new heaven and earth. Now, there are two Greek words translated new in the New Testament. There's the word neos, which you can transliterate N-E-O-S, which means new in time. That, neos refers to something that, that is newly come into existence. But there's a second word translated new and it's the greek word kainos which you can transliterate k-a-i-n-o-s and the kainos is not something that is newly come into existence but it's something that is renewed reformed something made new again my pop loved to collect vintage cars And he'd buy these old cars. His favourites were the old Rolls Royces, the Phantoms and the Silver Ghosts from the 1920s and the 30s. And he'd buy these old cars and he'd restore them. Well, he didn't actually do it himself. He paid for people to restore them, but he he kind of oversaw this this process and, and he loved to see these old cars restored. And what he didn't do was take an old Rolls Royce Silver Ghost from the 1920s and blow it up into smithereens and then, and then start to build something completely brand new that, that looked like a Rolls Royce Silver Ghost. What he did was to take the old car that was run down and broken and the, it would be cleaned and the grease was removed and the broken bits were removed and new bits put in. It was restored. The old made new And the Bible is teaching not that God is going to obliterate his creation and make it vanish and create something brand new, but his intention is to restore this world, this creation. It's going to be a kinot's heaven and earth, not a neos, heaven and earth. And that's good, because you and I have been made from this earth. God made us from this dust and breathed his spirit into us. We have a a profound connection with creation. This is our home. We are part of it. Christians should be environmentalists. Not because the earth made made us from itself and not because we are no different or no more important than the earth and that we should humbly do as little as possible to harm it. We should be environmentalists because God has made us from the earth and has breathed his spirit into us to work it and to take care of it for his glory. You see, heaven, what the Bible teaches us is that heaven is not going to some alien place, some place that we've never seen before. Heaven is this place restored and renewed, and made to be what it was intended to be right from the beginning, except it's going to be better. And it's going to be better because we're going to see something that Adam and Eve never saw in the Garden of Eden, and what didn't they see in the Garden of Eden? They didn't see the grace of God. And we will see in the new heaven and the new earth the grace of God, and so it will be even more wonderful than Eden itself and there will no longer be any sea. Now, who who always feels a sense of disappointment when you read those words, besides me? Because I love the ocean. I love it. It's referring here to the sea as the Bible's main metaphor for the turmoil and chaos of sin and rebellion. That's what it's talking about. The sea as a symbol of human, humanity's chaos and rebellion. The churning sea, the dangerous sea, the wind and the waves, symbolising humanity's rebellion. That's not going to be in the new heaven and the new earth. No more sin. No more consequences of sin in the new heaven and the new earth. Well, If that sounds wonderful, consider this. What we've seen so far is only the setting. It's just the setting for something even greater. Because God's word now says look up to see Christ's extraordinary church. Look there at verse 2. I saw the holy city. The New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And when we go to a wedding, typically the wedding venue is beautifully decorated. The venues cleaned and look spotless, and there are, are beautiful flowers. And the groomsmen were all standing up the front. They'll, they'll never look that clean and tidy ever again. And, and there's, there's beautiful music being played. It's a lovely setting. But the focus is always the bright. And the, every groom would agree with that. No groom would say that uh, you know, any of that other stuff is, is, is what's going to get his attention. What gets his attention is the bride. It's all about the bride, and every groom agrees with that. Well, the new heaven and the new earth that we have seen so far in this remarkable passage is just the, the wedding venue, if you like, the setting for the entrance of the bride, who is described here a metaphor for a metaphor, as Jerusalem, the city of God. And Jerusalem, of course, in the Old Testament was was God's city, God's temple was there, God's throne was there. What made Jerusalem unique from every other city in the world was the fact that it was God's home. God was present in that city. Now, by the time this was written, probably in the the 80s A.D., the earthly city of Jerusalem had been entirely destroyed. The Romans came in 70 A.D. under the general Titus and utterly razed the earthly city of Jerusalem. They ploughed up the ground and salted the ground as if to say, may nothing ever, ever be built on this site again. So the earthly Jerusalem was gone by the time the first readers were reading this. And what Jesus shows us in this passage is what the earthly Jerusalem was only ever a symbol of. The church. The people of God, the city of God. With God dwelling in their midst. Here we see the kinos Jerusalem, the renewed Jerusalem, the infinitely greater Jerusalem than the earthly Jerusalem could ever be. It's the church. It's the church as God sees the church, as a beautiful bride prepared by him, adorned by him for his son. Now the word church become a negative word, I believe. It, it, it doesn't evoke nice connotations in many people. And the world doesn't like the church. The church is the place, of, the place of abuse and scandal. And for week after week, for decades gone by, the word church has been associated with bad people doing bad things. And that has definitely affected the mindset of Christians. And I'm convinced that there are not many Christians who really value the church. Certainly, we do not see the church this way. Certainly, we do not see the church as God sees the church. And so we're happy to stay away from church. We're happy not to serve in the church, happy not to give to the church, happy not to speak well of the church, happy to move from church to church. We don't value it. It's not precious in our eyes. And in fact, I've met many people who say they're Christians and who say, I love Christ, but I don't love the church. I don't like the church. But can you see here, the way God sees the church. God sees the church as a beautiful bride. And we see the bride now in all its imperfection. It's a work in progress. God is preparing the church. He's adorning the church over time. His work isn't finished. It's far from perfect. But you know the imperfections of the church are very often... The very things that god uses to grow us in our christian faith we all know that from our family experience families can be hard places but it's in the family and in the rough and tumble of family life that we learn patience and forbearance and kindness and to love even when we're not being loved it's the same in the church It's no surprise to God that the church is imperfect and he uses those very imperfections to grow us. But what God's word is saying to us this morning is look up and see the new heaven and the new earth which is the setting for his church, the bride of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And now let's look up to see the bridegroom himself, our Lord Jesus. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. It is literally, now the tabernacle of God is with men and he will tabernacle with them. That's what it is in the original language. And they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Because what happened after Adam and Eve sinned? What happened after God cursed our first mother and our first father? They were banished from the Garden of Eden, weren't they? Cast out, thrown out of the garden. And then an angel with a fiery sword turning every which way, guarding the entrance to the garden, preventing them from coming back into the garden, preventing them from coming back into the presence of God. There was separation. You see, sin is the, the, the worst thing, the most hideous thing about sin is that it separates us from our Creator, from the God of the universe, the God that hand-made you and breathed his breath of life into you. Sin separates us from the living God. And in the Old Testament, God hinted with a very strong hint that he wanted to be reconciled to his people. And that was the point of the tabernacle. There's Israel, the 12 tribes and all their tents. And where was God's tent? Was it? Here's Israel camped, the 12 tribes, and God's tent over there? Is that the way God arranged it? Where did he put his tent? Where did he put his tent? Right in the middle. Right amidst his people. And so the tent, the tabernacle, was God saying, I intend to live with my people, to dwell close to my people. And yet there was that heavy curtain to show that there was still separation. Sin hadn't yet, sin hadn't yet been dealt with. But when Jesus Christ died, the tent, the the vale veil of the temple was torn in two. And all that separated God from his people was destroyed and God was reconciled to his people by the death of his son upon the cross. And so God dwells with his people here and now. You know that, that, that miracle in the, on the day of Pentecost? which I love, the, the miracle of the tongues of fire. And in my children's Bible, the tongues of fire were like uh, birthday candles, really. You know, there's the disciples calmly sitting there and a little candle above their head. I don't think it was like that. It was, it was the blazing fire of the presence of God, the glory of God resting upon each and every person of the church. The fiery and holy presence of God resting on each and every one. And do not think that that was Pentecost and now it's different, not at all. That was just an apocalypse. That was the curtain being torn aside so that they could see what would forever be true of God's church and God's people. That The blazing, holy and glorious presence of God would be on each and every one of God's people for all time. And the word of God in Acts chapter 2 tears aside the curtain to show here the blazing presence of God on each and every one of his sons and daughters. God's not separate anymore. The veil has been rent. He's with his people. He is Emmanuel. Not just God, but God with us. And yet the best is yet to come. Because if he's with us now, then what we see here is that we will see him face to face. We will be even more aware of his glorious presence. He's invisible to us now. But soon we will see him face to face. And when he comes, we read that he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Every tear. Because this life is a life of tears. And David said, my tears are like my food. My eyes are full of tears day and night. He said, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. And broken relationships cause us grief. And our bodies falling apart cause us grief. Poverty causes us grief. And what we see going on in our world. How can we not read the newspaper with tears in our eyes for what we see going on in, in, in the world? But at the last day, when Christ returns... And God is finally reconciled with his people. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. All the causes of grief and sorrow will be taken away. There will be no more death. Consider that no more death. So there will be no more mourning. So there will be no more crying. No more pain. That's what we can see. Brothers and sisters, that's where we're heading. That's the certain hope we have in Christ. The race is hard, brutal, but that's what's coming. Don't despair, don't give up. Look at this tremendous hope that we see here. For the old order of things... It's completely passed away. And he was seated on the throne. And said, "Look, look. I am making everything new. Now look how this finishes." Then he said to John, "Write this down." For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. When we had the, the privilege of visiting Paris a couple of years ago, there's, we got to see Monet's famous painting, The Lilies. And I'm sure we've all seen parts of that painting. You can only see parts of it because the actual painting itself is two metres high and 91 metres long, it's enormous. It's in a a, a specially uh, presented museum, museum devoted just to this great work of art, 91 metres long. Now, imagine this. Imagine a painting of the last days. We're living in the last days. Now imagine a painting, and on the left-hand side, the beginning of the last days, the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, on the far right hand side, the return of Christ, final judgment, and the reconciliation of God with his people. And then, in between, there's us. And the church through the ages, going through its strife and its battles and trials. Now, what When when the word of God says here that it is done, what it is saying is that the the picture is painted. God's finished it. It's done. And he sees it all, all at once. The beginning, the middle, the end. He sees it all at once because it is done. But we're in the middle of that picture, you see. And we we don't see the beginning and the end so clearly. We're in the middle of it. And we experience all the pain and frustration and turmoil of being in the middle of it. But the fact is, brothers and sisters, that heaven is not a hope in, in the sense of, well, I hope it might happen, but maybe it won't. No, it is a certain hope, a sure hope, Because God has completed the picture. He sees it all. Here it is. He shows it to us. Yes, we're in the middle of it. But it is done. It's finished. See what God sees. Enjoy it. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. And so our Lord Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Who's thirsty? Who's thirsty for this? Who hungers for this? The new heaven and the new earth, reconciliation with God, the final wedding, the new heaven and the new earth. If you're thirsty for it, Jesus said, I will give it to you without cost, free. Free for you because he paid the price. Free. And he who overcomes will inherit all this. And I will be his God and he will be my son. What what does that mean? He who overcomes will inherit all this. What the book of Revelation is saying is, There's the new heaven and the new earth. And the beast and the devil, Satan, the powers of evil are doing all they can from stopping you from getting there. And so there is temptation and trial and persecution and troubles and strife. And all of these things, all of these things threaten to stop us from getting to the end. And the word of God says, to, to he who overcomes, the one who overcomes these things, I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the cowardly, you see, oh no, the devil, the beast, evil, the threat of persecution, the threat of poverty, oh no. And these threats, cowards, and these threats have prevented many from entering into the new heaven and the new earth. It it takes courage, you see. The Christian needs courage to overcome the obstacles that have been described here in the book of Revelation. The cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral. Those who practice sorcery. The word sorcery referred to those who use narcotics. The idolaters and all liars. Their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And so we're shown a great hope and we are warned about a terrible, terrible destiny for those who do not keep going. Who do not fix their eyes on the prize, who lose hope. So keep going, says our Lord Jesus. Keep going. Older people, old people, you're near the end. You're near the end of the race. You can see the finishing line. You can see the the the, the banner there, right? Welcome home. You can almost hear the the applause in your ears. You're not there yet. And you've faced many trials in your long life. But perhaps the fiercest trials are yet to come. Who knows? And the deathbed struggles of many have been too terrible to speak of. Don't give up. Keep going. Hold on. And those of us who are so called in the, in the middle age, those of us who are middle aged, you know they say the, the hardest part of a long, long race, a marathon, is not the beginning because when, when the race starts you're full of energy and, and excitement and off you go. And it's not the end when you're really tired because you can see the finishing line. And I've just got to keep going just for a bit longer. It's the middle of the race that's the hardest part of the race and and many if not most of you here are in that middle zone and the initial enthusiasm was worn off and the end is still a long way away. It's a dangerous place to be. Keep going, says our Lord Jesus. Don't be overcome, don't be cowardly. Don't fall into sexual immorality, unbelief. The kinds of things that destroy a soul. Keep going young people, teenagers, young adults, children who are here today, you know what the hardest thing for you is? That death is a myth and the finishing line is is something you can't even conceive of. You can't even imagine it, let alone see it. So you're in a very dangerous place. It's so easy just to give up right now because you can't even see the end. It's something that happens to other people, heaven or hell, the end of time. And so you need especially to take hold of the truth of God's word and to see what Jesus is showing you, that that your life will end, your days are numbered, and you will most certainly face the King of Kings and Lord of Lords for final judgment. Don't be overcome. Don't give up. Don't don't be cowards, says the Bible, when the troubles come. And don't be seduced by the, the sexual immorality, the unbelief, the sorcery, the narcotics. Don't be seduced. Those things lead only one way, Hang on. Stand firm in him. Run all the way to the end. I hope today, brothers and sisters, you've seen the new heaven and the new earth. I hope you've seen the heavenly bride of Christ in all her beauty. I hope hope you've seen Emmanuel, God with us. And soon we will be with him face to face. Don't give up. Keep going. Keep your eye on the certain hope of the new heaven and the new earth and life in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.